Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. The cross has the final word. I love that, man. If that doesn't get you fired up, like I don't even know you. Like we're not even, we can't even be on the same page. I'm going to be honest with you. That's really why I come to Revo is for the music. If anybody asks, like I come here for the music, man. This is a great time to be reminded that, that God has the final say because of what Jesus did on the cross. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We are, we are closing down this series on, on Jonah, and I want to share with you something. This sermon's going to be about Jesus. Surprise. And so we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to elevate Jesus. We're going to talk about how Jesus is still in the business of changing people's lives today and can change your life uh, today. We want to help you take your next step. But uh, to set it up, I want, to, I want to tell you a story about how, how my family operates, my wife and I, how we operate in our home. How many of you know that a man and a woman have very different perspectives on life? They see differently. All the married men are like, praise God. Like, we just think differently, we act differently, we see things differently. And so I'm going to give you an example of how my wife and I see things differently. It's a uh, perspective. Usually all of my family illustrations are passed and approved by my wife pre-sermon. This one is not. Uh, So let's hope for the best. When Elizabeth walks into the house, here's her perspective, here's her idea. The question she asked herself is, what needs to be done? What needs to be done? The question that I ask myself, my perspective when I walk into our house and, and when, as it pertains to the work that needs to be done is just tell me what to do, okay? Like any of the guys relate to that. Like just tell me what to do, right? But Elizabeth, she will walk into the house and she automatically does an inventory of what needs to be done. She can look at the laundry and just by how high it is above the basket, she can tell you exactly how many loads that it's going to take. There's approximately two and a half loads of laundry that need to be done. She can look, I don't know if she has x-ray vision or what, but she can see if the dishes on the inside of the dishwasher are clean or dirty and if it's halfway full or halfway not. She's like, okay, so that needs to be emptied, it needs to be reloaded. And she can look in, the first thing she notices is whether or not our den looks like a toy store exploded in there and if, if how many pink baby dolls with, with, with their clothes hanging on the couch and their bodies are over here. Like She knows about how long that's going to take to clean it up. And so she's automatically, as soon as she walks in the door, she's doing an inventory. Now me, when I walk in the door, I'm not doing an inventory. I'm, I'm asking things like, I wonder what we're going to eat tonight because I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> I wonder what we're doing tonight. Um, I, I, but I, listen, I'll do this. I'll do whatever Elizabeth tells me to if she asks me to do it. Like if she tells me to do it, there's no initiative that is, that is coming from Elizabeth. Like she is, nobody needs to tell her, nobody needs to ask her. She's looking at what needs to be done, but my perspective is if you tell me to do it, then I will do it. Okay, 100% I will do it. But I'm not the guy that walks into a room and says, approximately two and a half loads of laundry need to be done, one half white, one half colored. Those don't need to be dried, they need to be hung up. Who's going to do the dishwasher? What's going on? When's the last time the floor's been mopped? I just don't think that way. Here's how it plays out. Sometimes Elizabeth will walk into the house after a long day of work. Maybe I get home before her, and she'll say, "Uh, did you do any of the laundry? And here's the reason why she asks, because Elizabeth has strategically placed the laundry right in front of the kitchen door where the washing machine and dryer is. 
to where literally you have to step over it to access the refrigerator. So she knows I've stepped over it. <laughs> like, that ain't by accident, okay? Did you do the laundry? And I'll say, did you ask me to? Let me give you a little piece of advice, gentlemen. This is a trick question. Because she will look at me and she'll say, do I have to ask you to do it? Couldn't you just do it? Don't fall for it, boys. Because <laughs> what you want to say is, if you asked me to do it, I would do it. Like, I'll be glad to serve you in that capacity. You didn't ask me to do it, and so I just didn't do it. But the real answer is, yes, sweetheart, I should have done that. You're absolutely right. It's my fault. I learned early on in my marriage I can either be right or happy, and I'm going to choose happy every single time. You're right. She just has a different perspective on things. But for me, if I'm not looking for it, like I, I, it's easy for me to miss. If I don't walk in the door looking for specific things to check off the box and to do to serve our family, then, then I will totally miss it. And Scripture is a lot like that. I don't know if you know this, this but this whole book is about Jesus. Old Testament, Moses... The major and minor prophets, including Jonah, obviously the Gospels are about Jesus, but even the rest of the New Testament, the letters that were written to different churches, it's, it's all about Jesus. But here's the, here's the thing. If you're not looking for Jesus in Scripture, it's really easy to miss him. If you're not specifically looking for where is Jesus, how are they foretelling Jesus, what are they talking about for Jesus, how does this connect with what Jesus has done for our life, it is so easy to miss Jesus. And so maybe for the past four weeks you've been tracking with the Jonah series. If you missed any of them, you can go to our website and catch the sermons there online. But maybe you, you would take a step back and say, oh, okay, the story of Jonah, it's about a guy that got swallowed by a whale, right? And then he was supposed to preach, and then he got another chance in Nineveh, and hey, great story, right? But I would argue that Jonah is actually a book about Jesus. In fact, it's so much a book about Jesus that it could have been named the book of Jesus instead of the book of, of Jonah. But if we don't pay attention, if we're not looking for that, then it's really easy to miss Jesus in Scripture, especially if it's outside of the Gospels in the part where, where Jesus isn't specifically mentioned. But a lot of people will read this book for a lot of different reasons. Uh, some people want to read it for the history of it. We want to know what was going on in the first century and even up to 2,000 years ago. And so we, we, we want to know it for historical context and, and culture. Other people read it because the Bible, I mean, let's just be honest, the Bible is full of really good stories. Like that one where the guy got swallowed by a whale and spit up. That's a good one, man. Another guy that got caught in the lion's den and didn't get eaten. And that's a good one. And a lot of good stories. Some people will read the Bible and they don't even believe in Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They don't believe that this is the inspired Word of God. But if they're honest with you, they'll tell you, this book's got a lot of good principles in it. I mean, there's, there's some good things in here, good ways to, to live your life and good things to do, how you treat others and how you, you, you interact with other people. So for them, it's just good principles. But, but I'm telling you, if you read this book without seeing Jesus, then you miss the whole point of the book. Old Testament, New Testament, and, and everything else, it, it all focuses on Jesus. Jesus even said this himself. Jesus was talking with some religious people, some Pharisees, and they were, they were reading the Bible, trying to figure out what it meant and how they could apply it in their life. And Jesus rolls up into the temple where these guys are, are talking, and, and this is actually what he tells them right here. In, in John chapter 5, it says, You search the scriptures because they think you, they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point 
to me. Now remember, they didn't have the New Testament at the time that, that John 5, like Jesus wasn't saying, okay, John chapter 5, verse 39, write this down. The only thing they had was the Old Testament. And so Jesus even says, even the Old Testament points to me. All the stories, all of the, the lessons, it is all looking in an anticipation to this coming Messiah. And he drops it on these religious people. He says, it's me. I'm here. All of this was, was actually about me. So even for this book, no offense to Jonah and no offense to anybody in here named Jonah, but Jonah cannot change your life. Jonah's a good story, but it cannot alter your life. It can't change it. No one in here can. But Jesus can change your life. And I would argue not only can he change your life, but he is still in the business of changing people's lives today and can change your life this morning. So here's what I want to do. Normally, here at Revo, we'll take a, a, a chapter or a passage of Scripture, and we'll go verse by verse and just unpack it for what it means for our life. But today, I want to zoom out. I want to take like a 30,000-foot view of the entire book of Jonah, and I want to show you four ways that, that we can see Jesus in the book of Jonah. You may be like, I don't believe you. Like, this is about Jonah. This is Old Testament. It's not about Jesus. Let me give you four ways, and there are many, but there are, there are, there are four ways where Jesus is actually a better Jonah. That Jesus and Jonah have some things in common. So I want to share with you this morning what these are. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, you may jot this down. Both Jesus and Jonah had a mission. Both of them had a mission. Jonah's mission is found in Jonah chapter 1, the second verse of, of the book. God speaks to Jonah and said, here's what you're here for. This is what you're supposed to do. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, you remember what Jonah did. God called Jonah to preach to Nineveh. Jonah was like, uh, I don't think so. Jonah said no and ran in the other direction. But there's some pretty obvious reasons why Jonah would have said no. I would even say that you and I would say no as well. Number one is this. God was calling Jonah to serve his enemies. The people of Nineveh hated God. They hated anybody that loved God. They really hated preachers that preached a message from God. And so Jonah was being told by God, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to serve and love your enemies. Now look, it's, it's hard enough for us to serve and love our family, right? Like if, if they're here with you, like don't say right, like don't, don't punch them or elbow them, like yeah, we're talking about you. It's hard enough to serve those people that you're close enough to because you have to put your, your, your needs at the back burner and put them in front of yourself. But now God's talking about not for your family, not for your friends, but put your enemies in front of yourself. Serve and love them. Jonah's like, nah, man, I'm, no, we're not doing that. We, we're not doing that. The second reason why Jonah would have said no is this. God was actually calling Jonah to risk his life in this mission. As I mentioned earlier, the, the city of Nineveh, these people were far from God. They hated people that loved God. They had a reputation of beheading people that claimed to follow God. They, they skinned people alive. I mean, can you imagine a pastor rolling up into a city with a, with a message like, repent or God's going to wipe you out? You know, I mean, it, it's not like Jonah's walking in and being like, hey, everybody, God's getting ready to bless you, so get ready. It wasn't a happy message. It was a, a message of repentance of their, of their sin, calling them out. And so Jonah knew, if I, if I go into that city, I'm going to risk my life. I could die for this. No, no wonder Jonah turned around in the other direction. 
And Scripture says that Jonah hopped on a boat, went 2,500 miles south in the opposite direction of where God called him to be. And you want to know something interesting? Disobedience always seems easier at first. Disobedience and saying no to what God has called us to almost always seems like that is the path of least resistance. Initially, when Jonah hears that, he said, it would be better and easier and more beneficial for me to say no and to run from God than to actually say yes to him. But I I know this about disobedience. Even though it seems easier in the front, disobedience always takes you to a place that you don't want to go. It may seem fun, it may seem easy at first, but it'll always take you to a place that you don't want to go. Let me illustrate it like this. Elizabeth and I were talking recently. We're going we're to try to take the carpet out of our house and uh, replace it with hardwood floors. And uh, we've got two kids, and if you've got kids, you know your carpet takes a beating. And so we said, we're just going to try to do this in 2017. And so she's the numbers girl, and she's running the figures. And she said, okay, this is, this is how much the materials are going to cost, and then this is how much the labor is going to cost for, for us to come in and, and pay somebody to do this. And right then, I stopped right there in her tracks. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Labor? Did you just say we were going to pay somebody to come in here and do this? I said, Elizabeth, listen, one of the benefits of you marrying me, and I'm, there are many, okay? But second to my dashing good looks, the second biggest reason you marry me is you do not have to pay for home improvement projects to be done, Okay? Like, I've got tools, and I've got YouTube videos. There's nothing in my house that I can't do. I said, so you can just cancel that labor cost, and we're not going to have to pay anybody to do this. Like, I'm a man with some tools and some internet. Like, I got this. And then Elizabeth pulled a fast one on me. She said, uh, Nathan, you remember, you remember last time you tried to, to change the floor out in the house? And see, I was like, now why are you bringing up the past? I thought, we were, I thought we were done with that. Well, here's what happened. A few years ago, I, I retiled my kitchen and my bathroom floor, and so I, we did it in-house. And I was going to spread it out, and so uh, we did it. I did it for three weekends. And after about three weekends of my kitchen being in total shambles, Elizabeth, filled with the love and grace of God, said, Nathan, you, 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 think, we ought to, you think we ought to call somebody? You know, because this... You know, it's been a month, and we can't get in the kitchen, and I'm tired of eating Wendy's, and, uh, you know, I'm just And so she said, you think we ought to call somebody, at least somebody from Revo that knows what they're doing, or that can help you, because you know what you're doing, but can help you? (laughs) And I said, you know what? I believe that would be a good idea. So I called up my buddy Dale and Noah and a few other of my friends, and... And, and that weekend, they, they, they knocked it out. Now, truth be told, I'm going to shoot you straight. Like, I was planning on finishing it that weekend anyway. But I told Elizabeth, I was like, this will be a good time to have some Christian fellowship with some of my friends and just let me kind of teach them how to do it and, and let them come along. So I was going to finish it anyway, but, but Elizabeth decided she pulled that up out of the past. And she said, uh, now you remember what happened last time you tried to do this? And here's what I know about home improvement projects. Like, home improvement projects will always take you longer than you thought they would. They would always cost you more than you were planning. And it will always take you to a place that you don't want to go, mainly marital strife. 
You know sin's the same way, right? Sin will always take you to a place that you don't want to go. It'll always keep you longer than you were planning on staying, and it will always cost you more than you were planning on spending. Interesting thing about Jonah was if he would have just said yes to to God in chapter 1, it would have been so much easier. But he was convinced that if I can just do it my way, it'll be easier. This is the path of least resistance. This is where I don't have to do anything that I don't want to have to do. And some of you even this morning may be on a path where you find yourself at a place where you thought, man, I, I never would have thought I'd be here. I never thought this would take me as far as it has. I never knew it would cost me so much to say no to God. I, I never knew that this would where, be where I would find myself at this particular time. But sin and disobedience, saying no and running away from God always does those things in our life. On the contrary, though, this is what's so frustrating. Obedience is almost always harder. I mean, when when you weigh, initially, when you weigh disobedience in your way with, with God's way and obedience, it always feels like it's harder to do it God's way. Because it involves sacrifice, it involves you humbling yourself and submitting to what God has called you to. And it seems like it's the most difficult path. But Hebrews chapter 11 even says sin is joyful for a season. Sin seems fun for a little while. Sin seems like it's the best option. Sin is pleasurable for a short period of time. And that's where we mess up. We're not willing to look further down the road and realize that it's going to keep us, it's going to cost us, and it's going to leave us where we don't want to be. Jonah finds himself running from God and running from his mission. And like Jonah, we too often believe that doing it our way, in our timing, instead of listening to God and doing what he says, will ultimately be better for us. And in the end, it actually costs us even more. Jonah ran from his mission, but thankfully Jesus did not run from his mission. Jesus was put here on earth for a specific purpose. And Jesus is just like Jonah in this. There were two reasons why Jesus should have aborted this mission a long time ago, like should have never come to earth. Number one is this, God sent Jesus to this earth to love and to serve his enemies, just like Jonah. Jesus came here for those that were far from God, those that were enemies of God, and those are people like you and people like me. But Jesus came and accepted this mission anyway. Second reason Jesus shouldn't have come is, like, God didn't tell Jesus there's a possibility that you're going to have to risk your life. Like, Jesus knew from day one, this mission is going to cost me my life. Like, I'm going to have to die for these people. I'm going to die on this mission. Like, this mission ends on the cross for me. He knew that from day one. But despite those two things, when Jonah decided to run, Jesus ran towards his mission. Jesus was obedient in his mission. Here's what Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says. Here's what Jesus' mission is. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You want to know why Jesus came? It wasn't to have church. It wasn't to hang out with a bunch of Christians. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. Well, well, what do you mean by lost? Like, what does that mean? Like, who is this mission towards? Romans 5, 8 reads like this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Here's the key. While we were still sinners. Two verses later, Scripture says, while we were still enemies 
of God. You can input, while we were still Nineveh, Jesus came to save the lost. He came to serve those that were enemies of God. So unlike Jonah, Jesus actually said yes to his mission. He came to to give life. He came to serve those that were far from God, people like you and people like me. I think it's interesting, Jonah, at the end of chapter 3, Jonah is sitting on the outside of the city holding the big bag of popcorn saying, man, I can't wait to see God rain fire down on this city and all these people die. That's what he thought about his mission. But Jesus, when people were nailing his hands on the cross... He looked up to God and said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is a better Jonah. They both had a mission, but Jesus is a better Jonah. Here's the second comparison, the second way that they're the same. Uh, They both slept in a storm. Jesus and Jonah both slept in a storm. In in verse 4 and 5, you guys may know the story. Jonah runs away, hops in a boat, is going south, running from God, and here's what happens. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Here's what you may not know. When you allow people into your life, when these sailors allowed Jonah into their boat, they accepted both the blessings that came with Jonah, but also the burdens that came with Jonah. When you allow people into your life, you accept both their blessings and their burdens. And they were reaping the benefits of both as they were locked in on this storm in the middle of the sea when Jonah was in there. But Jesus actually has a lot of stories about storms in the Gospels. The storms were a theme in Jesus' life. And Mark chapter 4 is one of my favorite stories of a storm in Jesus' ministry. Jesus and his disciples were hanging out. They were doing miracles. He was doing amazing things in their presence. And here's what Mark chapter 4 verse 36 reads. So they took Jesus in the boat and starting out, leaving the crowds behind... Although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. Sound familiar? In the boat, caught by a fierce storm, high waves were breaking into the boat, and the boat began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Hope you're comfortable. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? You know what's interesting? Sometimes... In our life, when we catch ourselves in the middle of the storm, I'm embarrassed about what I've actually said to God. The lack of faith that I have shown in the times in my life where the storm and the seas were raging. Sometimes we lose our trust in God. Sometimes we turn our backs on God. Sometimes, like the disciples, we yell at God. Sometimes we, we blame God. The disciples like, looked at Jesus and said, hey, like, I know you're catching a power nap, and I know you're a big deal. You've done a lot of miracles, but we are going to die. You need to get up. Here's what Jesus says. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. In the storm, the disciples showed fear. And in the complete calm, Scripture says they were absolutely terrified. Now why is that? Because in that moment, they realized that Jesus was the match for their storm. In our lives, sometimes when the storm rages, whether it's a financial, relational, uh, your job, your kids, your marriage, your, your, your neighbors and your friends, whatever, it is so easy to lose our cool. It is so easy to lose our trust and for our faith to become faulty. But here's what we need to remember. We worship the Savior that sleeps during the storm. Not because he is unaware or disengaged with our life, but because he knows at any one moment God says one word and your storm stops. And our faith in that Savior helps us to lose our fear of the storm as our faith in our Savior begins to elevate. Out of all the things that Jesus had done for those disciples, the disciples should have said, eh, no big deal. If it gets bad, Jesus will bail us out. Like, we're in the boat with, with the Son of God. Like, there's no reason to lose faith. There's no reason to panic. There's no reason to lose sleep. But instead, they, they totally lost their minds. Even though the Savior of the world was sleeping in their boat. See, you and I don't have to be scared of a storm in our life. We don't have to be surprised by it. We don't have to fear. Because the Savior that we worship is the one that the wind and the waves and the storms obey. When Jonah woke up, he panicked and said, I have no idea what to do. I guess you should just throw me overboard and hope and pray that the storm stops. When the disciples woke Jesus up, he stretched, yawned a little bit, probably wiped the sleep out of his eyes, and looked over the boat and said, stop. And the storm stopped. That's the Savior that we worship, and that is why Jesus is a better Jonah for us today. The God that sleeps through the storms because he knows at a single moment the things that we're going through answer to the authority of the God that we serve and worship. Third thing is this, they both sacrificed for salvation. Jesus and Jonah both sacrificed for the salvation of others. Here's how Jonah responded when the sea was getting crazy. In verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah looked at them and just said, you're going to have to kill me. You're going to have to throw me overboard. Like, and, and the guys, the sailors were like, nah, we don't want to do that. Like, we don't love God, but we're not bad people. We're not going to kill you. And so they started rowing towards shore, and then the waves got higher, and the wind got stronger, and stuff started breaking. And then one of the sailors were like, oh, okay, let's kill him, right? I changed my mind. I don't want to die today. Let's throw him over. We'll ask for forgiveness later, right? And so they, they tossed him over, and Scripture says that when Jonah hit the water and began to sink, the storm immediately ceased. But here's a big difference. Jonah even admitted that the storm in his life was his fault. He said, you know what? All this is my fault, so I will take the blame. 
Like it's, uh, this is my bed. I, I got to lay in it, I guess. Like I made a mistake. I'm running for God, and that's why I'm going to have to pay the price. Did you know that, that when Jesus gave his life, it, it wasn't because he messed up. It was because you messed up. It wasn't Jesus' fault. It was my fault. See, Jesus didn't need a Savior. We did. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. We did. And so Jesus didn't come to earth and say, okay, you know what? I made some mistakes. I really dropped the ball. I'm going to make it better, okay? I'm going to give my life, and, and you're going to be cool, and that's, that's, it's, everything's going to be okay. I'm, I'm so sorry. That's what Jonah said. But Jesus came to seek and save that were lost. He lives the sinless life and decides because it's the God-given mission that he has, that he's going to give his life, not to pay his tab, but to pay yours. See, scripture is, is very clear. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There's a tab that has to be paid for you and my sin, right? You know that, right? All sin has consequences. All of us have sinned before. So who's going to pay the price? Jonah sinned, and Jonah paid the price. But the good news about Jesus is you and I sinned, and he paid the price. You and I deserve the cross, but Jesus is the one that got on it. You and I made the mistake, but Jesus is the one that reaches across the table and says, hey, I'll pick up the tab. I'll pay for your sins. I'll pay for your shortcomings. And that's the decision that Jesus made. Why? Why did Jesus choose to go to the cross for you and I? Why did he take the fall? Well, Romans 6.23 says it. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus says, I got a gift. It's the mission that I was called to, that I want to give you today. And all you have to choose is to believe it and accept it. That, that Jesus paid for your salvation. See, Jonah knew, hey, I made a mistake. I'm going to have to pay my own way. You and I don't have to make that choice today. We can allow Jesus to pay our way. We can choose to believe and to follow him. Jonah got what was coming to him. But here's the cool thing about me and you. If we choose to accept and believe in Jesus Christ, instead of us getting what was coming to us, Jesus will take what is coming to you. He will take that sin. He will take those consequences. Here's what I know. Jesus is a better Jonah. Jesus is a better Jonah. The last thing is this. Both were gone for three days. Both were gone for three days. Here's how chapter 1 ends in Jonah. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. At the end of those three days, Jonah calls out to God and begs for forgiveness. And God gives Jonah a second chance. He's a God of second chances. And he spits Jonah out onto the beach. And God reminds him, he says, now, let's remember what your mission is because I'm going to give you another chance. Gone for three days in the belly of the fish in a dark place for Jonah's life. And at the end, called out to God. Jesus actually quotes Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. He says, I want to, I want to tell you how Jonah and I are alike. I want to tell you why the book of Jonah is all about me. And here's, here's how Matthew 12 reads. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is a better Jonah. 
And just like Jonah was in the bottom of the fish in a dark place with no hope, no help, Jesus was crucified. His body was laid in a, in a borrowed tomb, and for three days and three nights, the world was without hope and without help. But at the end of those three days, God raises his son back to life. And that's what not only changes our eternity, but that, that's a game changer for us right now. Jesus doesn't just change what happens to you when you die. He changes how you live today. And he's in the business of changing people's lives right now. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know the Jesus that had a mission to come and seek and to save and to serve those that were lost people just like me and you? I'd love to introduce you to him. Do you know the Jesus that is filled with so much power and authority that he speaks a word and the, the struggles and the pain and the circumstances and the storms that are in your life right now can cease because they obey the very words that are spoken by the Son of God that gave his life for you? Do you know that Jesus? I'd love to tell you about him. Do, do you know the Jesus that offered himself as a sacrifice for you and for me so that we could enjoy eternal life, so that our lives could be changed today. The Jesus that made a sacrifice for the salvation of many. Do you know the Jesus that was crucified and stayed in the tomb for three days, but if you go there today, you can see the tomb and it's, it's empty. The one that was raised to life to give you and I hope. That's the Jesus of the book of Jonah. That's the Jesus of the entire book of the Bible. And I hope this morning you'll ask yourself a serious question. Do I know that Jesus? Is it possible that that Jesus could change my life today? One of our pastors or staff would love to have a conversation with you about that. When you walked in the door today, you got a connection card. And there's a box on there that, that says, I made a decision for Christ. There's a, a line on there where you can just write down, I want to talk to a pastor. I've, I've got questions. I want to know what my next step is. Tell me about this Jesus. You can fill that out right now. You can drop it in the offering basket as it, as it passes in a few moments. And one of our crew would love to get in touch with you this week and tell you about the Jesus that has changed our life and that can change your life today as well. What next steps do you need to take? Because you were just introduced to a Jesus that is better than Jonah.